Gentlemen, you are listening to the Gird Up Podcast. My name is Charlie Ungemach. I am the founder and curator of the podcast. I really, truly enjoy putting this together. And to be honest, my, this project is more about me growing in grace, grace and knowledge of the truth. Um, but I do sincerely enjoy sharing this content with you. Fellas, I hope that uh, this day finds you healthy and strong, um, both physically and in, in mind and body. Um, and spiritually as well. I pray that you continue to grow, continue to know your Father closer and closer and better and better. And I pray that this can be a resource to you in your growth as a uh, child of the King. This episode of the Grid Up Podcast is sponsored by the Christ for Disciples Podcast. Pastor Paul Steinberg puts it out. You know I love Pastor Steinberg. He is a doctor of divinity. He has five sons himself. And he does an excellent job of applying God's word to raising the next generation. So take 10 minutes each weekday to listen to the Christ for Disciples podcast and get direction and gospel power to disciple the youngest generation. Subscribe to the Christ for Disciples podcast at ChristForDisciples.com or on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever else. That's ChristForDisciples.com. If you would like to hear your ministry or your company or your project, uh, your podcast, whatever it might be, advertised on this podcast. Make sure you reach out to me and let me know. We've advertised for a few projects in the past. We'd love to make a deal with you as well. In the meantime, God's blessings. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Here we go. You are listening to the Gird Up Podcast. To gird up is an ancient way of preparing oneself for hard work or a battle ahead. Our work is to reclaim masculinity in the modern world and to live out our calling as men of God. Here you will find a community of believers working hard to become the men that God created us to be. Now it's time to roll up your sleeves and let's get to work. Alright guys, if you've been watching the news lately, you've seen a lot of stories of people doing good things, right? People... Being kind and compassionate to each other, people helping each other out. You've also seen a lot of stories and, and a lot of a lot of people reaching out, talking about um, you know healthcare workers and truck drivers and food service providers and people like that who are working through this virus, who are working through this you know national catastrophe here that we're facing, and uh, people are saying thank you to them. And we get all these good feel good stories, right? I think the media recognizes that we need. We need a smile that they're not going to catch any flies with with uh, vinegar, especially uh, in a situation like this. So they're 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 doing a lot of like special interest uh, stories and things like that, telling telling stories of people who are loving on each other, right? People who are doing great and selfish things, selfless things. I'm sorry, um, but <laughs> if you were watching the news about two weeks ago, or if you are a fan of looking at memes on the internet, you also have recognized that there's a lot of people who are just outright being selfish in some really strange and bizarre ways, too. Um, one of the biggest problems that our hospital systems have been facing and continue to face is that people who are asymptomatic and people who have not come into contact with anyone who has the virus are literally knocking down doors and like rioting and being violent because they want to get tested for a virus that they don't have and they want to get tested for a disease that they don't have um, and they have no reason to think that they have it. They're just terrified. They're worried. They're, they're not thinking about anybody except for themselves. They're freaking out and they're doing ridiculous and crazy things because of it. Right? We also saw that, especially about a week ago, 
when people uh, were buying all the toilet paper, right? This was like a week, 10 days ago, I guess even two weeks ago now. People are buying oodles and oodles and oodles of toilet paper, tons and tons of toilet paper. Because they were concerned that they were going to be locked down or they're going to get quarantined or something and they're going to run out of toilet paper. And, and other people were like, um, we got runny noses and, and look at, the, like, they're just... There's no way you'd ever go through as much toilet paper as a lot of these people were buying. One of my favorite uh, Facebook videos that was floating around a little bit, I posted it on my Facebook page, um, was a guy who did the math. And uh, for a family of four, if you buy the maximum amount of toilet paper you can buy at uh, Costco, and for your family of four, during that 14-day quarantine, if, if you were quarantined for 14 days, during that 14-day quarantine, everybody would have to have would have to use the bathroom 135 times a day and use 20 sheets of paper every time they use the bathroom in order to use up all the toilet paper that they have um, and run out on day 14. It's just crazy. People aren't using their brains. Um, and we're getting some pretty comical stories out of it. We're getting some pretty scary stories out of it, too. Uh, but the reality is that these aren't even the sick people who are acting these, this way. These are the healthy people. It's not sick people that are knocking down doors that are requiring police officers to stand guard in front of hospitals that are forcing hospitals to have to set up tents to test people outside the building because there's just such an onslaught of people who want to be tested. It's not the healthy people or I'm sorry, it's not the sick people who are doing all these things. It's the healthy people. And as I was reflecting on that um, this morning on my in my prayers and meditations a little bit, um, the phrase that kept coming to my mind was, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And while that has a practical application here, the people who are literally physically ill do need medical attention. And a lot of the non-essential medical services are being either suspended um, or are harder to get at the moment because of um, the onslaught of cases, especially in cities like I'm in. Um, there's a lot of people who are getting sick with the virus, and because of that, the healthcare system is kind of bogged down a little bit, and that's why we're quarantining the way we are, and that's why we're social distancing, so that the healthcare system can handle what <laughs> what's ahead and what's happening right now, right? Uh, and I'm certainly not condemning anyone who is taking precautions. I'm certainly not condemning anyone who's social distancing or who's chosen to self-quarantine or is going above and beyond uh, to keep their family and their loved ones safe and, and healthy, right? I've been staying home as well. I've been social distancing like crazy. Um, I even kept a, every time I leave the house right now, I'm taking a bottle of hand sanitizer with me. I'm definitely, when I'm walking around a store, I'm hand sanitizing like crazy, right? Um, but... But I would point out that on the onset of this crisis, when this was all first beginning, when this whole social distancing and quarantining thing was all brand new, a lot of people displayed a knee-jerk, me-first reaction. We saw what was going on in a lot of people's hearts, most of our hearts, um, when this thing started. Some people is absolutely panicked. They freaked out. They refused to show up for work long before it was necessary that we should social distance or quarantine, right? Long before the government shut down all the industries, long before it was required or even necessary or even wise to stay home. They were refusing to come out of their homes. They were refusing to go to work. They are refusing to do the normal things that keep a country running, that keep society running, even though they weren't yet at risk. Now we are at risk, so we stay home. But before there were any cases, there wasn't anybody at risk, right? 
Well, these people freaked out. They hoarded all the toilet paper, and now they've locked themselves in their homes and are refusing to come out and are refusing even to acknowledge the guidelines of the CDC. They won't go for a walk. They won't leave their homes under any circumstances. I'm not talking about quarantine people. I'm talking about people who are not sick, who have not been exposed, and are just plain old acting ridiculously, right? They don't have any concern for anyone else. Their only concern is self-preservation. And some people were on the opposite extreme, right? Um, some people were on the opposite end of the spectrum. Some people just couldn't be bothered to interrupt their own busy lives and acted like this thing wasn't even happening, like nothing had changed, right? They've ignored the CDC recommendations. They still are ignoring the CDC recommendations. They haven't been social distancing. They haven't been being careful. They haven't been using hand sanitizer and washing their hands any more than normal. They haven't been avoiding crowds. They haven't been doing any of the things that they've been told to do. And they're actively spreading disease because they're choosing to be foolish. They're saying, my life, what I want to do is more important than everybody else's health, than everybody else's desires, than everybody else's whatever. They're putting themselves first. Most of us fell somewhere in the middle of these two extremes, right? We weren't the spring breakers who just refused to acknowledge that COVID-19 was happening and went to the spring break and had their party and then got everybody else infected. And most of us also didn't immediately, as soon as the, you know, the infection started in Europe, just shut down and hide at home and hunker down for the oncoming storm. Most of us landed somewhere in between, and most of us didn't really understand what was going on, I think, until we hit this uh, this social distancing spot where we're shutting down schools and like undeniable changes are happening. And because of that, a lot of us are taking a little bit more seriously, right? Um, but the reality is that in just about everybody's case, probably including my own, what we saw was from the onset of this is in some way, shape, or form a pronounced void of humility. Right? What we saw was, in most people's hearts, they're not worried about everybody else. What they're most worried about is themselves. Now, humility is a term that has been changed over time, that is often changed to suit the culture, that is often changed to suit the purpose of the writer. Um, and a lot of people don't understand what humility is, and people want to think of themselves as humble, and so they change the definition of humility so that they can call themselves as such. Dictionary.com defines humility as a modest or low view of someone's own importance, and that's your normal standard, I think, definition of humility. That doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it true and full. It's just what most people think humility is. Vocabulary.com says humility is when you feel small in the scheme of things, that you are just a simple, insignificant person. Webster's Dictionary says humility is freedom from arrogance. And Wikipedia, I know it's the source of all things good, but Wikipedia calls humility a low self-regard and sense of unworthiness. Do you notice how negative the connotation is in most of those definitions? You notice how it's almost all at the expense of my own sense of self, right? The idea that if I'm humble, I must be lesser. If I'm humble, I must not be worth much, right? But that's not what humility is. 
That's not what humility is. Actually, I found a far closer definition of humility, a far more accurate definition of humility, on that Wikipedia page where it cited an APA article that was put out by Christopher Peterson in 2004. He said, Humility is defined as being unselved, a liberation from consciousness of self, a form of temperance that is neither having pride nor indulging in self-deprecation. Notice it falls in the middle there, right? It's not having pride, but it's also not indulging in self-deprecation. It's somewhere in the middle. He continues on saying, humility is an outward expression of an appropriate inner or self-regard. I don't usually agree with the APA, not on much, especially when they started talking about gender stuff, but they hit it right on the head with this one. Humility is to see myself as I am and not as I imagine myself to be, and to see myself as I am, not as other people imagine me to be. It's a legitimate sense of self, right? And humility also imagine, uh, doesn't, doesn't see other people as I imagine them to be either as higher or lower, right, as really good or really bad, as great or not great, or as they imagine themselves to be either. I don't see anybody that way. I don't see the constructs. I simply see people as they actually are, including myself. Because, as Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear of the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roof. When you and I are stripped bare and exposed, void of the constructs and culture of norms and of the societal pressures that we see every day, when we are completely stripped down and exposed, not even seen as I want to be seen or as I want other people to be seen or as I want them to see me, When it's all stripped away, when it is all exposed, we're on a pretty equal playing field here. As Paul reflects in Romans chapter 3, starting at verse 9, what shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. In the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. When you and I are laid bare and exposed, standing naked before the Creator, With all things done in darkness brought into the light, we are all of the same condition. Each of us was created in the image of the Creator and is loved by the Father, but each of us and every one of us has strayed from the path. Even from conception, we've been sinful. We're wicked, we have all gone astray, and the wages of that sin is death. 
Each one of us ought to stand condemned, but each one of us has also been redeemed. We've been bought back at a price. Each one of us has been, has had our debt paid by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And each one of us has had our sin washed away by the blood of Jesus. That word tetelestai, that word Jesus said from the cross, it's usually translated as it is finished. When the deed was done, Jesus said tetelestai. It's the Greek word that uh, the Greeks used to declare a debtor's account closed forever, paid in full and stricken from the record. It's gone. And in this reality, the true reality, when we strip it all down, the true reality of the world as it is, is that there are only two groups. There are two designations, those who are saved and those who are unsaved, those who are headed to heaven and those who aren't the sheep and the goats. But how often do we really see the world this way? How often do we actually see the world as this black and white? Not very often, right? Because this is where pride sneaks in. This is where pride sneaks in. It clouds our vision. And pride that's clouding our vision is a double-edged sword because pride cuts one way and shame cuts back the other. It comes in really, really sneaky, right? I start to look at the things that I do and I start to feel pretty good about myself, right? Because I am a pretty good Christian. I'm a pretty good Christian. A minute ago, I was humble. But now I start to look at the things I'm doing for Jesus. I start to look at the things I do. I read my Bible every day. I go to church. I must be a pretty good Christian. And then I look across the room and I see other people who are like me. They're in church every Sunday. They must be pretty good too. That's right. We're church people. Church people stick together. right? And pretty soon, it's all about me. It's all about the things I do. The way I serve Jesus. My church. Is better than your church. Look what we do for Jesus. And suddenly I've completely forgotten my place. Pretty suddenly I'm awfully valuable, aren't I? Right there, that's pride. Right? Or some of you, as soon as I said that word church people, right? The term church people, start to sneer, right? I'm, I'm not a church person. Thank God I'm not a church person. I'm not one of those goody two-shoes wearing a tie to church every Sunday. I don't have my nose up the pastor's keys still like a lot of them do, right? I don't need some pastor to tell me what to do. I'm a real Christian. I'm a champion of coffee shop and bar stool ministry. I talk about Jesus everywhere I go. I tell all kinds of people about him. I'm one of the good ones, right? I don't need a church. We do we do house church. We know God better than anyone else does because it's just me and God. You know, we're the good old boys just like Jesus' disciples were. And pretty soon, pretty soon, <laughs> we start to be filled with pride again. Be careful because there's arrogance there too. And remember that pride comes in with shame. It's that double-edged sword, right? It doesn't take a lot of pride to start striking shame into other people's hearts too. Why is there such a rift between church bodies? It's not just because of disagreements in doctrine. It's because of pride, right? Of course we shouldn't be worshiping together if we don't agree on the fundamentals of Christian doctrine. And I'm not saying that churches should all be united and hold hands. What I am saying is there shouldn't be pride involved. There shouldn't be arrogance involved. What I'm saying is we need to take the plank out of our own eyes and we need to realize that we all stand in the same condition before the throne of God. But the biggest wound struck by this pride is not the separation of denominations. It's in our failure to treat the gospel like the life-giving and life-saving medication that it is. 
As C.S. Lewis said, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And, of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Again, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And, of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. We need to strip away the masks, the facades, the constructions, the shields, and we need to recognize who we are, naked, exposed, and laid bare in the presence of the King. I am a broken and wicked sinner. I am condemned to die for eternity because of my wickedness, but because he loved me, God sent his Son, gave himself a, gave of himself a sacrifice to atone for my sin, and because of it, I have been redeemed. My Father no longer sees my sin. He sees the holiness and perfection of Jesus, his Son, and he loves me as his own child. I am no longer a slave to sin. I am the Son of the King. And as I recognize this fact about myself, it also changes the way I see the people around me. The scorn and arrogance fade away, and the pride and shame do too, because I stop looking down or even up to others and see their true condition just as I see my own. When I look across instead of up or down at other people, I see my brothers and sisters, some who also once were lost and condemned, but now are sons and daughters of the king, and others who still are lost in darkness and sin and haven't yet been restored. And when I see the world this way, when I see it as sheep and goats, when I see it as the saved and the unsaved, it changes everything. And what wouldn't I give up or trade to help my brother and sister stay in the faith and continue in the path of life once I recognize that should they leave the path, they'll be condemned to die forever? When I realize that that's the truth of our condition, that if I leave the path, I'm gone forever for eternity, what wouldn't I give up or trade to help my brother or sister stay in the faith, right? And what wouldn't I willingly abandon to go help a brother or sister who stands condemned and walks in darkness to see the light? Death is crouching at each of our doors, and life can be snuffed out in an instant. If they die without faith, tonight they die forever. So what wouldn't I give to help them see the light? This is a spiritual emergency. The world is actively ending every day for those people who are in darkness and die. If they die in darkness, they are lost for forever. Think about it this way. If you're standing in your driveway and you see a blind man in the street with a semi-truck barreling down on him and the, the truck isn't slowing down, would you hesitate for a moment to run out into the street and guide this man to safety? Would you? Or would you stand in your driveway and watch as the truck comes saying to yourself, eh, I'm not very good at saving people. I'll let somebody else save them, right? Or as that truck comes barreling down, you say, eh, what if he gets mad at me for trying to save his life? Or what if it's awkward? trying? What if I try and save his life and it's awkward and it's just uncomfortable from now on, right? Or um, that guy was rude to me last week, so I'm, I'm just not going to help him this time. Um, or some of the more popular ones, right? If, if God really wants him to live, God will get him out of the way of the semi-truck, right? He'll survive, right? Or, or if, if the blind man asks me for help, I'll help him to the side of the street. I'll help him get out of the way. Or if he comes onto my driveway, if he comes in my front door and says, I need help getting away from the semi-truck, then I'll help him get away from the semi-truck. Of course we wouldn't. You'd go out in the street and you'd save that guy. You'd let go of the dog's leash. You'd 
put your kids on the sidewalk and you go get out in the middle of the street and you'd save the guy. At least I hope you would. But this is the pride that clouds our vision so we can't see the truth. This is what pride does. It makes me more valuable than anyone else. And so we pray for humility. We ask God to show us who we really are and who he really is. Ask God to help you see clearly, to help you hear his voice. And then when you hear his voice, listen, go and do your master's bidding. Now, you all know I love C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis has the best definition of humility that I've ever heard. The best definition of humility I've ever come across. It comes from Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. It's a great read. It's one of my regular reads. I read it on a regular basis and listen to it as an audiobook on a regular basis. But he says, Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all that you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you will feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility at all. He will not be thinking about himself at all. If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. And it's a biggish step, too. At least, nothing whatever can be done before it. If you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. C.S. Lewis, again, hits it right on the head. Being humble isn't about thinking little of myself, isn't about thinking that I'm worthless or that I don't deserve to be here or any of that. It's not self-deprecation. Humility is recognizing who I am and what I am. And because I recognize who and what I am, I no longer have to be concerned with myself. I no longer am consumed by thoughts about myself. I'm now far more concerned about the work of my father. And the work of my father is done in humility and selflessness. Now I care about the people around me. I care about you. I care about the person across the table from me. I'm present, I'm there, and I'm brave. I'm courageous because I have no concern for myself anymore. My eternal destiny has been taken care of. My salvation is one. My health is one. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What can man do to me? Nothing. So pray for humility. Pray for humility. The the in st- just the overriding theme of all the gospels and most of the epistles is the ultimate humility of Jesus and the true humility of his followers. Those who would truly love Jesus leave everything else behind, including concern for self, and they simply follow him. And now in the 21st century, we simply follow the Father. We do his bidding. We do the work he has prepared in advance for us to do. I hope that this hits home for you. I hope that you continue to uh, include humility in your prayers. I pray that this changes your perspective a little bit on the situation that we're in. And I hope uh, that I will see you one day alongside me singing that heavenly choirs for all of eternity. Fellas, I hope you have a great week.
Thank you for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. If you like what you're hearing on our podcast, make sure you're sharing it with friends and family, men in your life who you think need to hear our message. You can find us on social media, on Facebook under the Gird Up Podcast, and there's a Gird Up community as well there where you can interact with other men on the journey toward Christian manhood. You can find us on Instagram as girdup underscore like underscore a underscore man. If you'd like to help us bring our message to more men just like you all around the world, you can hit up our Patreon account. Type in www.patreon.com forward slash girdup. And finally, please leave a five-star rating or review on whatever platform you use to listen to our podcast, whether it's iTunes or Spotify. What that does is it helps us get more attention in the podcast world and bring more men to our message. Thank you again for listening to our podcast. Thank you for all the ways you support us and help spread the word. Until next time, go gird up and be the man that God created you to be.